It's my privilege to bring the word of God, um, God in John chapter 15, verse 18 through to 16, verse 4. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you in this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. <clears throat> if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, as it is they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All of this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. May God bless this word to us today. Thanks, Wendy. Well, um, if you've got your Bibles there, do keep them open, um, or your devices, however it is that you um, access God's word. Um, this morning, there will be some passages that we go through. Again, we'll go through what we've just heard and just has it read to us up on the screen as well. But um, I wonder if you can think about... Um, the time before you came to faith in Jesus, assuming um, many of us here, perhaps most of us here, um, have come to faith in Jesus at some point. I wonder if you can think of a time, and it's the strangest thing, really, for a new Christian to first realise the surprising hostility that they come up against, sometimes even uh, by close, dear friends, loved ones, family, uh, and, and lifelong friends. Have you ever been surprised by that? Can you think of a time when you were? Or perhaps maybe um, you came to faith and your faith has grown slowly over time and it's taken a number of years and as you've gotten more confident um, in your faith and you, you're becoming uh, renewed and, and a different person, you, you, you suddenly end up in a conversation with someone um, who, and, and you're surprised at their, their reaction, their response to a change that's happened in your life, which you thought was a good thing. Uh, you've become a, a better person, you, you, you're different from how you used to be, and yet the response is kind of met with this wall or this hostility. Well, we know um, that hearing about Jesus, of course, um, discovering who he is, discovering what he's done for us, is really good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. In fact, it's great news. The news of new life found in Christ, in trusting Jesus Christ. Um, sins forgiven, first of all, all the things that uh, we contribute to, all the sins, all the failures, shortcomings, um, transgressions that, that we commit, 
knowingly and unknowingly, all the things that are committed against us, all those things are forgiven. We instead receive grace from God. There's no condemnation. There's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of failure anymore. Just a knowledge of a loving, accepting, direct relationship with the God who created us. The one who fulfills all our needs because, after all, he knows us best. Uh, We've been created in his image. So I wonder uh, if you've just thought about why is that the case? Why is it that there seems to be uh, a consistent level of of hostility um, in light of this good news of knowing Jesus? Why is it that Christianity, more broadly, as a worldview, is often critiqued as being at least, at best, on the nose, or perhaps in today's language, it's bigoted, it's intolerant, uh, it's abusive, and, quote, it's on the wrong side of history. Why is that the case? Now, I want to say right up front, before we slip into what all humans can slip into, a victim mentality, we are not victims. Okay, as Christian people, we're anything but. We're victors. We're victors in uh, a conquering king who did so most uniquely, unlike any other conquering king ever. This is a king, the most powerful of all, God, uh, taking on flesh and giving up his life uh, to save all people, to create an opportunity for all people to be saved, both those who love him or are trying to connect with him and those that hate him, even his enemies. That's what Jesus modelled as a king. And his resurrection after his death is, is what vindicated that he was actually God in the flesh. Uh, no one else can raise themselves from the dead. Uh, no one ever has and no one ever will. Jesus, the only human that came back to life because he was God. And the scriptures tell us that God in Christ raised him uh, from the dead. That's the victory. So we're not victims, okay? And we need to also acknowledge this, that yes, Christianity and the church, uh, we, we're not perfect. We're far from perfect. Um, we do have a, a history where, and, and we continue to see it, where there are those who profess Christianity, who lay claim to being Jesus' followers, uh, who are living anything but what Christianity actually is and what Jesus taught them to live. And we do, we cringe. And we ought to be ashamed of that because it, 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 it uh, feathers us with the same brush, doesn't it? I think that's the phrase. Um, we're tarred with the same brush. So we just need to, to be aware of that. But for the most part, Christianity as a worldview, and specifically for those who have a personal devotion to it, to following Jesus, are ignored at best or outright criticised at worst. Why is that? Well, Jesus continues this intimate conversation, this intimate talk with his first disciples in the, uh, the last hours uh, before he would be uh, dragged away. Um, his pending death was only a few hours away from this time, uh, which chapter 15 is, is squarely in. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter, and so we're going to continue going through John's Gospel in the lead-up to, to Easter. So we'll end up with the account of his death and resurrection on Easter weekend, which will be, which will be good. But um, J- Jesus, uh, in, at this point now, turns the conversation. And with all these things in mind, he turns the con- conversation from what was last week, when we read in the passage, a beautiful promise that he gave to his disciples, these beautiful words of intimacy, uh, not only to these uh, 11, but to all those who would come after him and, and uh, after them and follow him. And, and it was about our relationship, uh, those beautiful words that Jesus will be in us and we will be in him. 
And the metaphor he gave, if you weren't here last Sunday, just to recap, the metaphor he gave was one of a vine, a very common metaphor in his day, and still for us today, really, where you've got uh, the, the, the vine and the branches and the branches bearing fruit. And the relationship between the branches and the vine, there's this uh, completely... Uh, dependent relationship as in in a healthy way Uh, the branches are fully dependent on the vine uh, to work through in order to bring about fruit and that's what Jesus has gone from this beautiful promise that he will be with them that he will be in them by his spirit and uh, and we will be in him because of what he's about to do in his death and resurrection well now he turns that and very quickly it's gone from a, a beautiful conversation to a rather brutal one he reveals this brutal truth that we've just heard read to us, a brutal reality that all disciples will experience at some point when they choose to trust and follow his footsteps. Let's just recap verse 18. If the world hates you, says Jesus, keep in mind that it hated me first. They are strong words. You know, you you don't find that uh, much anywhere else, uh, especially not directly from the words of Jesus. This is the only time you'll hear him speak so clearly and forthrightly about hate. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. There's a really interesting litmus test. Have a think about that. Keep that in mind as we continue on. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And this is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, says Jesus, a servant is not greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And if they obeyed my teaching, which is what? Love God and love others. They will also obey yours. Well, in this second part of chapter 15, Jesus helps us understand why. He helps us get a clear picture of why there's been a sense of hostility towards people who claim to be Christians. And I want to just say at this point, um, if you're still considering the claims of Christ or you're unsure about it all, um, when a person aligns themselves with Jesus Christ, when they come to realise he was a a real historical figure that the scriptures, our Bible, um, is historical documents, records that have, uh, there's there's no doubt from professionals, um, historians, secular and and religious, uh, as to the, um, the authenticity of them. And, uh, and the reliability of them to be accurate in what they reveal about Jesus. Um, but if you're, if you're not someone in that position, um, can I just encourage you uh, to, to keep listening? And, and I don't want to sell you something. A lot of people in church, and churches have been just as guilty. We come across, we over-ramp the, the kind of positive, because it is great news following Jesus. I just want to be realistic about that and say, as Jesus has said, um, you're going to get persecuted. This is, a, this is a, a, a challenging life to live now, in this life, at this time. But of course, life isn't just this life. Life is far beyond that. We have been created eternal in God's image. And uh, death has broken into our world, and that's what will end life. But in Christ, his victory over death is something that we are now called into. And so there is more to this life. There is more to the struggle, to the challenge Uh, to the um, uncomfortableness of this life. There is this beautiful hope, glorious future hope to look forward to that breaks in now in in glimpses, you know, bits and pieces. We see it from time to time, we experience it, but we know one day it'll be here for all time. So I just want to say it to you. Um, I I don't want to be uh, ever accused of um, having oversold. I see too many people down the track after coming to faith in Christ being told that it's going to make their life better 
being told they're going to get all these wonderful things, being told God will grant them everything they ask, everything they wish for, everything that they desire. It's rubbish. It's a lie. That's not what Jesus has said. It's not what Jesus is saying. But don't despair. It is worth following Jesus. Absolutely worth following Jesus. Amen? It is worth following Jesus for a whole host of reasons. So hang in there with us. Um, but if you align yourself with Jesus, okay, in this life, you're going to experience all sorts of um, challenging things. That's why it's good we're together. It's a surefire way to miss out at a promotion at work. It just is. And now we're hearing about it more often, not just anecdotally. It actually gets into our newspapers now, where if someone in a prominent role declares they're a Christian, um, they're gone. Uh, because it's been assumed that they believe in things that we don't want to believe anymore and we're on the wrong side of history. It's a surefire way to end a successful corporate career. It's a surefire way to be labelled the black sheep of the family or of your friend group, the odd one out, the one who's gone a little bit weird, who's hooked in to some kind of cult. But I want to say for those of us who are Christians, as we know, this oughtn't surprise us at all. That kind of unjust misunderstanding... Uh, That kind of hostile treatment should come as little surprise given what Jesus has clearly said here and in many other places and as his disciples would go on and teach in other parts of the New Testament and remind the church over and over again of what to expect. And so I want to just highlight three things as we we kick off. The first one is this, to, to notice first up. There's nothing personal about persecution as a Christian. Okay, and this is to us who are Christians, right? We need to really stop taking things personally. It's not about us. It's about the God who people see glimpses of in us. That's what it's about. Jesus is saying that. He's owning it. He's saying, if you follow me, right, you're going to face persecution. Don't be surprised because I was put to death by both religious leaders, my own people misunderstood me, and by political leaders. So stay calm. Don't take it personally. Uh, This great quote I read during the week, persecution for the sake of following Jesus, is not personal. So we're under no compulsion to react as if it was. Okay? Jesus reminds us that it happened to him too, and he experienced the same kinds of rejection, hostility and misunderstanding. And as we were reminded in our prayer, as Mel led us through prayer, we, in our part of the world, really need to think carefully about claiming persecution. When you look at how the majority of Christians live around the world, uh, who experience actual persecution, who face real life and death, physical harm, uh, economic um, you know, consequences in society, um, we really still do have it good here. So there's nothing personal about it. Please don't take it personal. Um, think about it. When you think about Jesus experiencing hostility by the world, Jesus was the perfect human being. Make no mistake. That's why he had a following. That's why he still has a following, okay? Because people, when you look at Jesus, you go, wow, that wouldn't, if everyone was like that, this world would just be beautiful. Absolutely. He was the perfect human being. Um, when he was brought before Pontius Pilate, uh, the first governor that was asked to make a ruling on him, you know, they, they, they want to kill him in a few hours' time from this passage. Um, Pontius Pilate, a, a genuine government guy, just went, I don't want to kill a person I've got to find out who it is so he finds out who Jesus is he has a conversation with him comes back to the people and goes I find nothing wrong with this man what do you want to kill him for why why do you want him judged and tried I find nothing wrong with him that's that's how a a secular government person found found Jesus to be of course there are countless people in in the Bible and those that don't make it to the Bible who saw Jesus for who he was the perfect human God in the flesh 
and they loved him and they followed him and they were devoted to him because of how good he was. Um, the religious leaders could only find an accusation against him that he was being blasphemous because he was making it pretty clear that he was not just an ordinary person, uh, that he could forgive sins, something they said only God can do. So that's blasphemy, right? If you're aligning yourself with God, these days we wouldn't call it blasphemy. In our world, we'd say, you're insane, we need to lock you up. Um, but back then, it was you know, pretty, it was like, that's blasphemy. It was like outrageous. People, they'd rip their, rip their vests and garments and, ah, blasphemy. Um, and that's why they wanted him, that's why they wanted him put to death. But Jesus wasn't troublesome at all. He taught a law of love. He healed the sick miraculously. Only God could do that. He even raised the dead on two occasions that we know of. And he taught unlike any other religious teacher that anyone had ever heard. The, the, the common response to hearing Jesus teach by those that heard it firsthand was that he had an authority they had never heard from any of their religious teachers before. So even the perfect, wholesome, loving and compassionate Jesus was met with hostility and rejection. The second thing to say uh, at the outset is this, to expect persecution for following him, um, you will be persecuted for your Christian faith. People will persecute us, uh, even though it's a it's sort of extreme word to use, but we will face hostility because we're now different. We're different once we come to faith in Christ. Um, God promises to do that. His spirit comes and lives in us and he transforms us. The spirit, as we'll see in a couple of weeks' time, probably even next week, I think, maybe a couple of weeks' time, um, the Spirit convicts the world, convicts those of us outside of Christ, not yet in Christ, uh, convicts us of our sin, of our contribution to all the dysfunction in this world. That, that's, his, that's his role. Uh, and so um, we become different people. Have a look at what verse 19 says. Jesus says, he says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. You know, today as Christians... I know a lot of our angst in our part of the world, our outrage at hostility, is that we still think, because we know it's good news, that people should just get this and they should understand. Um, we, we, we sort of don't realise that we are now different. And, and, and human beings in our outside of Christ nature, right, our sinful natures, which we're born into, um, we, we don't like different. We don't like good. We actually don't. You know, John, at the start of his gospel, says uh, the light came into the world uh, and the world rejected it. The darkness did not like it. The, the darkness um, rejected the light. That's all of us. That's all of us before Christ. We don't, we don't, even indifference and going, oh, that's okay over there, even indifference towards Christ is still living in darkness if he's the light. Um, and so we become different. And that's why the world hates you, says Jesus. If you belong to the world, they'd love you. <laughs> you wouldn't have hostility. So here's the litmus test. If you're a Christian and you go, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, how much persecution do you actually experience? How much hostility do you find? Or have you worked out a way to sort of fly under the radar and live in such a way that you're not really making much of a difference at all and the world just accepts you and ignores you? It's worth having a think, not to dump guilt on ourselves, but to have a think, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I understand that I'm misunderstood, that I'm going to be, there's hostility up, up against me with my faith because I'm, I'm changing and, I, and I'm different. I'm living differently. I have different values to the world. We are differently. We think differently. We're informed differently. And we try our humblest to live differently. I will say too, we are far from perfect. We're not perfect. Not like you come to Christ and suddenly you, you, you're a perfect person. We're not better than anyone else. Not at all. Quite the opposite. In fact, those of us who have come to faith in Jesus have realised uh, 
we ought to have, right? This is how you properly come to Jesus, that we are broken. That, that, that we've tried everything, we've tried our hardest and we can't seem to, to figure things out. We don't have peace. We're not better than others. We, we, we discover that, that we need hope, that we need meaning and purpose in life and all the other things. And we've found, we've found all these things in Jesus. We've, we've, we've found in him um, what we need, what we've been longing for and what we cannot achieve for ourselves. So we're going to be different. And we're going to become increasingly more and more different the longer we trust and follow Jesus. Listen how um, to Jesus, one of his closest disciples, the Apostle Peter. Uh, there, was only, there were three disciples that were really close to Jesus and Peter was one of them. And uh, this is what he says in a, a couple of decades, probably three decades later, in a letter he wrote to the churches. 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 3 to 4. That's in your Bible, not on your screen. He says, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. Um, that's not like how we all necessarily live as pagans, but certainly along those lines. We do whatever jumps in our head, whatever we feel like, whatever we desire. Um, they, that is the world, says Peter, are surprised, so everyone else is surprised, that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and so they heap abuse on you. In other words, right from the beginning, as the early church formed and as it grew, uh, many who were not Christians, Gentiles, those of the world, have always stood opposed to this new way of living. Well, the third thing to say is that um, persecution cannot be avoided. There is danger on the safe side, okay? Persecution cannot be avoided. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than their master. It's dangerous living on this safe side. I, I know um, some of us, uh, you know, can hardly bear that idea of being rejected, okay? Particularly if you're a people person. If you're someone who loves people, rejection and hostility from others really weighs heavy in your mind and in your heart. I know there's a, a small number of us that don't give a hoot. Uh, that's some are psychopathic uh, or sociopathic, um, but pulling it back from that, some of us, you know, we're not people pleasers and we have our convictions and we can say, well, this is the truth I'm going to stand in and give it your best shot, it's water off a duck's back. For, but for most of us, we want to be liked by other people. We want to be accepted by other people, particularly if it's family members and friends we've grown up with or friends we've known for a while um, who don't perhaps share our faith. But um, we don't like this idea of being rejected. It's actually much easier, isn't it, to fly under the radar or to just roll over and conform or to compromise to avoid trouble and conflict. Well, Jesus just reminds us here to watch out. He says, you're not better than me. You know, I'm your, I'm your, I'm your master, you're, you're, you're my servants. Well, now you're my friends, he actually says. But you follow me. I'm your example. I'm the one that's gone before you. If this is what happened to me, it's going to happen to you. Persecution and hostility for following Jesus cannot be avoided. So we need to face up to it. It's a part of our Christian walk. But here's the good news. Notice uh, the second part of verse 20. He says, you know, um, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. The second part says, if they obey my teaching, they will obey yours too. So there's good news. In other words, the way we live and the way we speak and, and, and the, the transformation, the difference that people see Jesus makes in our life um, actually is endearing to those who are searching, to those who are seeking truth, answers, meaning, purpose, hope beyond this life. It's not everyone who is hostile um, or who wants to rant and rave and persecute us for being Christians. 
there'll be many who actually see the difference and they'll be drawn to it. They'll see the beauty. They'll see the freedom. They'll see the humility as we struggle to work out that faith in this world. And there'll be some who will listen and they'll understand and Jesus will call them to be his own and they'll be saved from a futile, meaningless life. So take heart, be encouraged. People will listen and respond uh, in faith to the good news, the faith they see uh, in our lives. So that's the brutal truth. It's that persecution isn't personal. Uh, We will face it. It cannot be avoided. Why? Because that's how it was for Jesus. Well, why else is this so? Why else does uh, persecution exist? Um, Well, it's because of the way the world is. It's just the way of the world. And by the world, uh, the Bible means those outside of God's kingdom, which was all of us at one point, those who don't yet know or understand Jesus, who don't Uh, who don't yet realise what he came to do. John chapter 15, verses 21 to 25 uh, capture this well for us. They will treat you this way because of my name, says Jesus, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. He's speaking about people that have seen and known him in person at the time. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. And of course, this is to fulfil what is written in their own law. They hated me without reason. Jesus identifies the basic cause of this deep-rooted problem in the world called godlessness. And we'll talk a little bit about that at the end. Godlessness. It's the consequences of being cut off from God. Going about life our own way coming up with clever ideas ourselves as the creation rather than listening to the creator and what he's asked of us and what he's um, revealed to us about himself. When we go it our own way, we create a godless world and therefore that's that's the reference here when the Bible talks about the world. And of course, specifically, Jesus is referring here, which is even more tragic, not just to the world, but he's lumped his own religious leaders into that same category. The Pharisees is who he's speaking about here. The high-standing Israelites, the very people of God who prided themselves on their knowledge of him, who for centuries now had taken his laws and added to them and uh, come up with all sorts of wonderful restrictive ways to live in order to please God, all the while failing to see what the law was supposed to show, their inability to please God and to throw them, just like the rest of us, onto the mercy of God, to say, God, we we can't live up to this. Your God, we're not. Help us. And therefore, they couldn't see Jesus because they were proud in their achievement in keeping the laws. Which means they actually didn't know God for who he really was. They actually had another God that they started to create in their own minds. They thought they were worshipping the real God, but they weren't. And Jesus, the real God in flesh, points it out to them. them. No wonder uh, they led the way, together with the secular political authorities, to have him put to death. They thought they were. I wonder if you can think of someone. There's, a, there's an example in the Bible we have uh, of such a person. So there's hope because the worst of them was a guy called Saul. Saul from Tarsus. And you remember him? He was a hot headed Pharisee. And before Jesus uh, arrested him, the resurrected Jesus appears to him. You can read about it in Acts. Um, but before Jesus appealed to him and changed his name to Paul, uh, making him one of the apostles. Um, he gave his testimony one day, and it's recorded in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and this is what he said about his past life when he was Saul. 
before he came to Christ. He said, in those days, I thought there were many things that I ought to do against Jesus of Nazareth. You know, he was breathing murderous threats, is what the Bible says, you know. He was, he was the guy that signed off on a whole lot of persecution that led to the death of Christians, rounding them up and putting them to death, and he'd signed off on it. He was there when um, Stephen, the first martyr, first follower of Jesus, was stoned to death soon after um, the church began. He was there, the, the Bible records it, and a man called Saul was looking on. This same Saul finds Jesus, and he's turned right around. Even someone like Saul, murdering followers of Jesus, can know God's grace, can know God's forgiveness. And now he's taken that hot-headed passion and he's turned it into, you know, turning the world on its head. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. But that's who Paul was. He was one of these ones that Jesus describes here. The ones who had seen and heard Jesus, but their blindness stopped them from seeing who he really was. And of course, this has been predicted for a long time in the Old, scripture, in the Old Testament scriptures, they hated me without reason. Well, how should we respond to this reality um, today? How are we called to respond to opposition by those who don't share the same faith? Well, rather than me come up with a whole lot of good ideas, I thought we should listen to Jesus. It's a good idea, isn't it? A good starting point. And this is what Jesus does. Firstly, he reveals to us a beautiful advocate. A beautiful advocate. And it's in these last verses from chapter 15, verse 26. That should read chapter 15, verse 26, through to chapter 6, verse 4. We're introduced to the beautiful third person of the Trinity. Our God, um, we believe, is one God that can only be one God, um, but he exists in three persons. And we discover this through the scriptures as he's revealed that to us. God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, or the Advocate, as we've been introduced to previously. And this Holy Spirit, the Advocate, is coming. And, of course, for us today, he's already come. He's already here. He's been here for thousands of years, 2,000 years. And he lives within us. He empowers us to live this way, this new life that Jesus calls us to. And, and for the 11 disciples he's talking to here, he says the spirit of truth will testify about him to them. So how will they know? How will they keep knowing what Jesus is like and what Jesus is about and what Jesus wants? And after he's died and resurrected and gone back to, uh, to, to live uh, with God the Father... They'll know because the spirit that he's sending, the Holy Spirit, his advocate, the spirit of truth, will bear witness to Jesus. We heard this the other week. He will remind them of things that he said and did. That's why they went ahead and recorded it a couple of decades later, uh, wrote it down. That's why we keep hearing it. That's why we rely on the Bible and not our own ideas to understand Jesus. But notice at this point, it's not to the world that the spirit bears witness to Jesus. It will be the disciples this is really interesting. Sometimes we get this a bit twisted. We read it and say, oh, that's, that's God's work. He, he can sort out that, that wretched world. We're saved. We're happy. We'll just sit here and in our four walls and bask in, in the wonderful glory of God. And God can sort... No, that's, that's not what it is here. His is a witness. The Spirit is the one who witnesses and testifies to followers of Jesus about Jesus. It's a witness that Jesus is truly alive. It's a witness that confirms in our times of doubt, because we all have it, you know, that Jesus is Lord, that he is full of grace and truth and that we do need him. And this is what encourages us to ourselves go and bear witness to the world. And that's whose role it is to bear witness to Jesus in the world. It's actually our role, the disciples. Jesus says it himself here. Those who have experienced the reality of Jesus now go and live that out. Which leads us to a second point he says here, what we can do. 
in response to hostility. You are my witnesses because you've been with me from the beginning. He says to these disciples, we're called, just like them, to live faithful lives in response to Jesus, to obey his command of loving God and loving others, to live out our faith, and should opportunity arise, we share with others the good stuff that's naturally happening in our lives. Wasn't it great to be reminded in our prayer time of just how we've been blessed this week? What has God done in our lives? It's good to do that and to share that with others. That's genuine and a truly effective witness. Well, the third thing Jesus leaves for us to do is this. He says, don't quit being a witness in a hostile world. He's talking to these first disciples. He says, they will put you out of the synagogue. That's really important to Jewish people. That's their... That's their temple worship. And early on in the church, as, a, as Gentiles were getting saved and they were going, well, we don't go to synagogues. So they started meeting in homes and, um, and, and then some, and this is what Jesus says, you know what, you disciples, you're going to be leaders of the church, but you're not going to get a whole lot of cred in the local synagogue as time goes on. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time's coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. You know, I said earlier, I don't want to lie to you about how good it is to follow Jesus uh, without speaking the truth Jesus does. Well, listen to what he just, you hear what he just said to these guys? There's going to come a time when those who will kill you, the one who kills you, <laughs> will think they're doing a service to God. You know, there's only one apostle that we know of who died a death in old age. The apostle John, the one writing this letter. The others are all put to death for their faith at some point. Well, the world's persecution at its worst is very violent. But Jesus says, even so, don't fall away. Don't give up. Don't run from it. He's here with us. He will steady us. And he will empower us with the words and actions we need at the time. Well, the fourth and last thing that Jesus says is this. He says, you know, we have been forewarned about this. We've been forewarned about persecution. I've told you all this beforehand, he says in Chapter 16, verse 4. Don't be surprised when it comes. Uh, the Apostle Peter again picks this up in the letter that he writes a little bit later on. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal which is trying you. It's, it's all part of the process. It's what Jesus said would happen. He says, let us get rid once and for all of this dream. Well, he says it along these words. This dream of, of, of settling down in this world, of, of trying to be liked and accepted by everyone. And having no problems or no hardships of having this smoothed out, trouble-free life. Forget that. It's, it's elusive and it's not what Jesus has called us to. Paul, the apostle, would write in 2 Timothy chapter 3, They that live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. There's a war going on, but a victory is certain. And the question is, indeed, are we on the right side of history? But that wonderful play on words... Are we on the right side of his story? Are we on the right side of, of God's story, what he's revealed to the world through Jesus Christ? So we don't retaliate against resistance. Um, we don't get angry, as frustrated as we might be. We also, I think, need to be very careful about how quick we are to rush to defend ourselves. As a pastor, I often get... Um, feedback from people, uh, concerned people at stuff going on in the media and so on, and they go, you know, isn't there something, isn't there a petition we can sign? Isn't there something we could, we could, we could object to here and, and, and question? Well, why don't we just keep living the way God has called us to live? We don't have to justify ourselves. We know who's won the victory. We know we're on the right side of his story. So let's keep living 
with truth and courage and compassion in our hearts. I wonder this morning, if you are a believer and someone who follows Jesus and for however long that's been, and at whatever stage of the journey you're on, it's worth asking the question, isn't it? Is it worth the persecution, even the hatred or the opposition that we get from following Jesus? Is he worth it? And I know we will go, yeah, yeah, he is worth it. Yep, yep, yeah, he's worth it. You know, I really pray that we can uh, answer that question more and more with, with a, a certain um, sense of commitment to it, a certain sense of confidence. You see, he's worthy of anything that any of us are going to ever suffer in his name. I mean, he's no, he's, no one's going to suffer more than Jesus. You know, uh, even if we're put to death, as many of the disciples were, you know how it ended for the Apostle Peter, don't you? History has it that when it finally caught up with him, the laws and the, the rules and the, the hostility and the persecution, they arrested him, wouldn't stop preaching. And so they led him away, as they were doing with many Christians at the time, and used crucifixion, the same method of execution. And Peter, historically, has said, I, do, not, do not crucify me the same way you did Jesus. My Lord, I'm not worth it. Hang me upside down. What a powerful testimony. And history has it. Tradition has it that the Apostle Peter was crucified, inverted. See, even he, as someone convicted and knowing Jesus, and the penny drops finally, the spirit comes, fills his heart, his life, convicts him with the certainty of it. Even he's able to say, do your best, world. Do your best. Because uh, no one has suffered more than my Lord Jesus for me in dying for my sins, in taking my shortcomings and my failures and making something new out of them by his own death. And I want to say this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and, or you're not sure, and you're not a Christian, maybe you've come with someone, I don't know, but um, you're hearing this directly from Jesus himself. These are Jesus' words, and forgive me if my words or muddy, muddy that, as I always pray every, every week uh, to God. These are his words, the words we've read in the Scriptures. I just want to encourage you with this. Maybe in the past, um, today, your heart um, has, has railed against some of the things Jesus teaches or you, you're just not quite sure about what you've heard Christians believe and you've seen some really bad examples of what Christians say Christians believe and the way they go about it. We can be an obnoxious lot, sadly, really because we're no different to anyone else. I just want to encourage you with the bigger picture. As I said earlier, we're not perfect. We don't claim to be. If you meet a Christian that claims to be perfect, they're actually, they haven't yet come to understand Jesus. They're not actually a Christian. They're still a religious Pharisee. They just are. The bigger picture is this. All of us, men and women, the scriptures tell us this. We're, we're against God by default. We're born into it. We want to go lives our own way. We're cut off from God and there's no way back. And yet God has looked upon his rebellious world and he's done everything he can through a people, through Israel. They failed as well because they're just the same as the rest of us. Uh, they're human beings. And God ended up stepping in to the world in himself, in Jesus. And he took on and cleared the path for us to be able to connect with God again, to be made new, to be made righteous, just as he's righteous. Jesus died perfectly sinless for us who were imperfectly sinful. That's the great exchange. And that's, that's the faith that we hold on to as, as Christian people. 
Have a listen to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20 as we close. This is, this is God speaking to Christians, right? This is God speaking to the church. And he's, he's reminding all of us as Christians, no matter how long you've been a Christian for, of who we once were before we came to faith in Jesus. And he says, and you, that is the Christians, who once were alienated and hostile in mind. To what? Hostile to what? Hostile to God. Alienated, cut off and separate from him. And we were doing evil deeds, he says in verse 22. And you know, that's where it could have ended. It could have stayed there. You know, it could have said, and you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, did evil deeds, full stop. (laughs) But it doesn't stop there, it continues. You who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's who Jesus came for. Jesus came to reconcile us, to join us back, to connect us back in right relationship with God. And that's, that's all it is that we need to witness and testify to with the help of his spirit as his followers. Well, let's pray uh, as, we, as we finish up this particular part of John chapter 15. Father, we do thank you again for your word this morning. Thank you for the faithful record and accounts of it, preserved um, both through human effort and at your hand, your powerful hand through your spirit's work in their lives, those who wrote down your words, wrote down the teachings of Jesus, wrote down the things they witnessed, the things they heard and saw. We thank you that we can trust your word. and We thank you that uh, it doesn't shy away from both unimaginable beauty and raw brutality. We thank you that your word addresses all the things that we experience, all the joys, all the struggles in this life. Thank you, Father, that you are the truth and in Jesus you're the living truth and you've revealed yourself to us through him. We pray for those um, those of our friends and our families, our neighbours, those perhaps we work with who we know really have not yet understood this great news, this good news, and we see them and we understand because we used to be like it. We're searching in all the all these places that are just, they themselves fall short, all these places don't live up to what, we, what we're longing for as your alienated and hostile creations. We pray, Holy Spirit, that through us, through our witness in our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, uh, our communities, that people in time would be led to see Jesus in us, that people in time would find the great hope and the great joy of knowing, loving and trusting him can be. And we pray this again, not for our sakes, but for your glory, in your glory alone, and in Jesus' name. Amen.